The dark and macabre have intrigued us for years, but are their bewitching powers waning? The old greats such as Poe, Lovecraft, and Hitchcock have long since passed into the void. The masters of the 1970s like James Herbert and George Romero are gone. Stephen King and John Carpenter are in their twilight years. So where does that leave the current state of horror? The future is bright and author Thomas Gloom hopes to unveil this truth by discussing the genre's past and present. Settle back, get comfortable, and remember to leave a light on as you enter into the gloom. I've been in love with the horror genre since I was a child. I read my first Goosebumps book in third grade, which then led to bone chillers, scary stories for sleepovers, and then scary stories to tell in the dark. Many of my horror-loving friends tell of similar experiences, often recounting instances where some movie, book, or piece of art planted a scary little seed deep within their soul. But I realize not everyone has had that same journey. With that in mind, I've always wondered what it's like for people who weren't introduced to horror until later on in life. On today's episode of the Into the Gloom podcast, I'll be interviewing my spooky friend and fellow horror author, Michael R. R. Goodwin, who, by his own admission, says that he got a late start in the genre. But as you'll all soon become aware of, dear listeners, He's finding ways to make up for lost time. Welcome, Michael. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've got a great show here. Honored to be on it. I'm I'm excited about this, man. We've been we've been talking about it for a little while now, and yeah, you know, I, <laughs> anybody that follows me on Instagram has seen me gushing about your your collection when at, really at the time of this recording, uh, when it goes live, it's already out. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. And um, but I'll I'll hold off for a little bit. I've got some other questions to, to get us All right. up. <laughs> um, you know, running running with this theme. And as I said, I personally can't relate to it. You know, I have been in love with horror since really as far back as I can remember. Now, I will say that I guess my love for it started in third grade. And prior to that, it was a little complicated because my dad, and I still to this day joke with him about this, but when I was four years old, he allowed me to rent the VHS of Child's Play 2, and it scarred me, and I still don't like <laughs> dolls, <laughs> and I can watch those movies now, and like, you know, it, it, it's fine, but at the time, it was horrifying, and then for my fifth birthday, he got me one of those My Buddy dolls. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they look very similar to the Chucky doll. Yeah. Um, so I'll say from third grade on, I've had this, this love with horror, but you didn't have that experience. So I want to, I want to just pick your brain a little bit about that. Um, so sure. let me ask, what was your introduction to horror and how old were you when that happened? Well, um, I think I was probably in third grade, you know, about whatever, what age are we in third grade? Seven or eight? Uh, yeah, eight or seven, nine. eight, nine, somewhere in yeah. there. Um, you know, we had the Scholastic Book Fair 
you know, I think everybody has great nostalgia with those things. I saw all my classmates checking out the Goosebumps books and I, you know, I hadn't read a single one. And I remember telling my folks about it and my dad wound up buying me one, not really knowing what they were all about. It was uh, stay out of the basement. I remember bringing it home and like being all excited and my parents saw it and they were like, nope, you got to return that. You can't read it. I w- grew up in a, a religious family and I think, you know, for good intentions, my parents just wanted to keep me away from things that would give me bad dreams or whatever. Um, so yeah, Goosebumps, all those scary kids books that a lot of people have good memories too. I didn't didn't get that exposure. Didn't watch any of the movies that a lot of people I've seen. I'm not a very uh, well-versed person when it comes to horror movies, even still to this day, because there's just so many uh, and such widely varying views on how good they are. And it's hard to know where to, where to start. So I've just kind of, you know, tried to find my way. Well, I will, um, I will help to fix that and send you a list of my favorite horror movies and you can take it or leave it. (laughs) But I, I have some strong opinions about, about horror movies. Um, No, that's, that's interesting because, you know, honestly, I had a similar experience. My parents are divorced and I grew up with my, my mom and my stepdad. That's, that's where I lived. And my mom also did not like me reading scary stuff. Um, But I was a sneaky and rebellious child. And so I did it anyways. And uh, yeah, yeah, I had a similar experience where I bought some books at a book fair and had to return them. But our, our school library at my elementary school had goosebumps books, had scary stories for sleepovers, a few other, um, you know, scary books for kids. And so I would check those out from the library and just bring them home in my backpack and then, you know, go out into the woods or, you know, out in the backyard and sort of like sneak a book out and and read it then. Yeah. um, Yeah. So, I mean, I I can relate to the parents not not wanting it to happen. And then on, on the flip side, you know, my dad was just he he didn't care. I mean, you know, he, he was glad that I was reading stuff. <laughs> right. Well, I read a lot growing up, uh, very big reader. And I, I don't know as if my library in school had those goosebump books or not, but um, a book that really resonated with me as a kid was um, The Bridge to Terabithia. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if you read it or not, but as a, a book geared for kids, it confronts a lot of really tough subjects and, you know, difficult emotions. And it was unlike any other book I had read at the time. And I think I read that book, you know, over and over again for a number of years until my mom was like, Hey, you know, what's this book really about? Like, why do you read it so often? And, you know, she didn't have an issue with it, but, you know, she was worried of, you know, what, what could be in there that could be, you know, influencing my mind. Um, and, and still to this day, I have a soft spot in my heart for that book. Um, my daughter read it in school last year for the first time and she was blown away by it. Uh, so I love being able to share that with her. Wow. That's cool. I, I haven't read the book. I've obviously, I've heard about it. You know, I know, yeah. I know it's a book with a, 
big following and a, a, a nice little history behind it, but I've never actually read it. <laughs> I just forgot. I mean, I, for, for our, for our listeners uh, in the podcast, they're not even going to notice, but I guess, I guess I can, I can slip this out. Um, I do have plans in the future to start a Patreon and have some extra goodies. And one of, one of the goodies is to, um, allow patrons to watch the videos of these. And I always have my, my brand, my look with my, my sunglasses. Oh yeah. Sunglasses. Yeah. And I forgot to do that. So, (laughs) all right. Now, now I feel like I'm in the element. (laughs) It's the real um, Thomas Gloom now, folks. Yes, exactly. I don't know who that other guy was. That was yeah. talking to you. <laughs> um, okay, so stay out of the basement. Goosebumps. That was what, book two or book three in that series early on in the Goosebumps? That was your sort of introduction to horror, but it was it was taken from you before you could really taste and see how good it was. So I couldn't even read it. Yeah. Do what? I didn't even get a chance to read it. Wow. Have you read it now? No. Oh, wow. Probably should. Probably yeah, should. you should. You should. I actually just recently gave it a reread earlier this year. Actually, I listened to the aud- uh, audio version of it. Yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely geared toward kids, but yeah. it's still fun. It's still fun. Okay, so l- let me ask you this then. What was the book or movie that later on in life made you fall in love with this genre? It's got to be Needful Things. Uh, It was the second Stephen King book I ever read. uh, And it was incredible. You know, I had never read anything like that. Just the wide cast of characters and how everything was intertwined and connected and wrapped up to this, you know, amazing ending. I was like, all right, I got to read more of this guy. Uh, You know, of course, I'm born and raised in Maine. I'd heard of Stephen King. My grandparents had, you know, nearly all of his books on their bookshelf. So, you know, I was familiar. But for whatever reason, I just hadn't read anything of his until 2006, 2007. Um, Yeah, I started with the and I thought that was good. it wasn't until I read other things of his that I realized there was a lot better Stephen King books out there than the Tommyknockers. But, you know, that one has a sense of nostalgia for me because that's what started it all. You know, it was a, a breath of fresh air for, for me. And it was like, okay, you know, I think I've found the types of books I like to read now. And that was all I read for like five or six years was Stephen King. Wow. Yeah, I always love hearing what people's I'm glad you mentioned what the first book was, because I was going to ask if you didn't. Yeah, but I I love seeing the order in which people, you know, found King, you know, for me, it was Cujo. That was the first one. And then my brother, I have an older brother, and he gave me a copy. He's not really a big reader. Somebody gave him a copy, a hardback of Nightmares and Dreamscapes, the short story collection. And then he gave it to me. And I read it and just loved it, devoured it. And then I went to my high school library. And so my third Stephen King was The Tommyknockers. And um, I, I, it's the same. You know, I realized that there are, are, are issues with, with that book. 
and it meanders a little bit and knowing the history and you know Stephen King even admitting the the the, the amount of uh or the lack of soberness um, when yeah. he was writing that book um but for me it's still it holds a place in my heart and I love just the the imagery and especially that cover with the green light you know slipping through and I think that subconsciously that did play a role in how I described for my cover designer how I wanted the cover of the window to look with yeah. that green light coming out of the window and it, it definitely has those you know Tommy knocker uh, vibes to it and so yeah I mean that that book will always have a place in my heart now the made for TV movie on the other hand not ugh, so good the ending yeah. was so bad so bad but when I was a kid, when that movie was first coming out, you know, I was just a little boy and I remember seeing the preview for it and it horrified me, terrified me. I had nightmares. I still remember that night because I wasn't at home. I was at my uh, my my dad. Um, he had remarried. And so I was at my stepmom's parents house on this farm. And um, yeah, terrifying. And it wasn't until high school that I actually watched the movie and was like, oh, Maybe when I was a kid, maybe I should just watch the whole movie and then I wouldn't have been scared anymore. But that trailer, right. that trailer was creepy. Yeah, trailer is uh, better than the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that does, that happens sometimes. <laughs> it does. For, for a lot of horror fans, myself included, there are tons of positive memories and nostalgia that are all wrapped up in many of the scary books and the films that we love. And so... Do you, Michael, think your lack of nostalgia with the genre helps you to sort of come at it all with a more sober eye? I, I, I do. I think for a lot of people who have been exposed to the books and the movies for so long, I don't want to say that they've become desensitized, but I think it takes a little bit more to make an impact for, for these people. Um, and that's just from the outside looking in. I don't have that context for myself, but I know that, you know, I've been reading horror. I'm not a big movie guy as when it comes to horror movies. Um, probably going to get kicked out of the community for saying that. But, you know, when it comes to reading uh, horror books, you know, I, I get something from everything that I read. You know, even if I didn't really enjoy the book, you know, it's still just a little bit more of whoever wrote its passion and you know their own history with the genre that you know is coming through and you know it all helps to to shape my perspective um you know I, I still feel like a newbie when it comes to you know hearing other people talk about what they've read or what they've watched for movies uh, because there's so much that I haven't experienced when it comes to the horror genre because it's so vast yeah and i think that you know i can admit this for myself that there are certain movies there are certain books that are very nostalgic to me and uh because of that and because of the memories tied with them i am willing to give them a pass when the writing is shoddy when the dialogue sucks when you know the the, the ending um, doesn't land well. And so I, I think that there's, there's probably a lot of that. 
with certain folks that just have, you know, good memories, or maybe they read it early when their, their, their palate for these things wasn't fully developed. And so yeah. when they come back to it, or maybe just thinking back about it, they can't help but view it with rose-colored glasses. Right. <clears throat> I, would, I would agree with that. I know that you're a family man with work outside of writing. So how do you balance a busy life with all of the obligations that comes with it? How do you balance that and your aspirations as a writer? Uh, it is a struggle some days. You know, we've got uh, three kids going to three different schools with extracurriculars. Uh, we have a small farm uh, with some cows and goats and chickens to take care of. Um, you know, we have the house to maintain and all the chores to get done. But writing is a passion that I have. And it's a creative outlet. And I think everybody, even if they don't necessarily have a passion for it, should have a, a creative outlet and a way to express uh, that creativity. And for me, it's writing. Uh, you know, like many of us, I hope to be able to write full-time as my um, bread and butter at some point in my future. And I'm not gonna get there if I don't make it happen. So every day, you know, to the best of my ability, I try to write at least 500 words. It's almost always at the end of the day when everything else is done and everyone else is relaxing and, you know, winding down for the day, I'm sitting there at my laptop, you know, just trying to get my words in. Uh, we see uh, Mike Salt out there with a hashtag late night word count. And I totally relate to that. Yep. Um, and he's a, a big inspiration when it comes to those nights where you're just like, man, I am, I'm too spent or the words just aren't coming. But I think I've been making a conscious effort since February and there's maybe only six or seven days since then where I haven't met my 500 word a day goal. Uh, and those are some pretty dire circumstances for me to miss that because it, it's uh, very important to me to, to maintain that progress. And, you know, it, it's a commitment. Yeah, I, I feel that, you know, I have the same aspirations. I want to be a full-time writer. At this point, it's kind of funny because as, as things are rolling along, I see that audiobook narration is going to get me there faster. And I'm cool with that because I love I love doing it, too. And it's sort of just a, a side a side road from from yeah. the writing. But, you know, it, it can be hard when you got family, when you got, you know, a, a, your your day job. And I'm, I'm the same way that I, I set that goal of 500 words. Um, I have definitely missed it more than seven days this year. But once again, I'm doing so much other stuff as well, doing this podcast and doing the narration. And so I am, I, I cut myself some slack there, but yeah. I just want to make sure that I am doing something every day to build towards this this future that I desire. And so whether it's, you know, uh, making posts on Instagram or posting book reviews or, or getting some extra reading done or doing the writing or, you know, uh, doing the narrating, I just want to be doing something because, yeah, it really, 
and when you're in the in the moment, you know, when you're you're looking at maybe what you're doing today or what you've done this week, it doesn't feel like a lot. But when you look back over a year and you can see what you've accomplished and how it snowballs, it's really amazing. And so I, I don't know if you do something like this, but I track my words as well. And so I just have yep. I've created a, a document and every single day I just write down how many words that I wrote that day. And then at the end of the week, I tally how many words I wrote in, in the week. And so at the end of the year, I can tally all those up and, and see that total. And I put little notes, you know, like when I finished Voodoo Child or when I finished this novella or whatever the thing might be so that I can kind of, you know, remember where I was. But I find that writing that down, it 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 gives me something concrete to hold on to and to really hold myself accountable. But it's also inspiring to look back upon. Yeah, no, I do a very similar thing. I, I'm a big nerd and I love spreadsheets. So I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of everything. And, you know, I have a column for each project that I'm working on. I don't, you know, always work on the same project every day after the next, you know, yes. sometimes I just need to take a break and work on something else or start something new. Um, I think we're all guilty of having way too many projects as writers. Uh, it's hard when we have such good ideas. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I started with uh, my my biggest project um, has almost 83,000 words right now. And it's all, you know, five or 600 words a day. And I haven't worked on it every day since February 1st, which is when I started the project. You know, I spent many days working on other things and I'm still 80,000 words in. And it's like, how did I get here at 500 words a day? But it, it really does add up. And there's plenty of authors out there that take a similar approach. You know, um, I think it's Paul Tremblay, I've heard, has a, a similar uh, pattern of, you know, 500 words a day. And, you know, look where he is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody's different, too, because, you know, then you've got guys like, I mean, you know, he's not horror. But I don't know if you've heard of Chris Fox. Um, yeah. He writes more, you know, fantasy sci-fi. But, you know, he, he's getting sometimes 5,000 words a day. Um, but, you know, it, it, it really, it depends on what your goals are. It depends on what works for you. Because I also know people who have made those lofty goals, 2,000, 5,000 words a day. And then they find themselves burnt out after a few months. And they can't. Yeah you know, can't, can't even put pen to paper for a while after that. And so, yeah, knowing yourself and, and balancing. And I think that for me, and it sounds like you're probably the same way that having multiple projects going at once really can help combat that burnout because you're, you're giving your, your brain a break on some, you know, you're, you're on one track, but then you can sort of shift and go to another track. And that's really helpful, especially when you feel stuck. And, you know, for me personally, yeah. I don't believe in writer's block. I don't believe that's a nope. thing. Um, I, I, I think that you can get stuck in a story. You can get paralyzed with fear, not knowing which way to go. Uh, maybe you've got different options. But, you know, if you're truly a creative, then there will always be more that you can do more ideas popping up and I think that sometimes people get so hyper focused on one track 
And that's where they feel that they've got writer's block when really they just need to walk away from it for a little bit. Let it sit, let it cool. I know that even Sting, you know, Stephen King talks about that in On Writing. Yeah. Where, you know, when he finishes a manuscript, he just puts it away in the drawer for, you know, months at a time before he even comes and, and reads through it. Taking that breather, getting time away from it can really just change so much in terms of creativity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of these really awesome anthology calls uh, that are always tempting me and, and tempting my time away from this big project that I, you know, I feel like I'm really close to to finishing. But, you know, that's something that a lot of authors think, yeah, I, I've almost got it done. Uh, but then there's more. Um, as long as I'm working on something, you know, I consider that progress. Um, there are some days where, you know, I've been working on cover design or page formatting or whatever it is for, you know, a project I have. And I will sometimes consider that time as time spent writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still a creative outlet. It's still progress towards the future goal I have. Uh, it may not be words on paper, but I can sit down in my recliner at, you know, when I'm done and not feel like I've let myself down for the day. Yeah. I'm very easy on myself when it comes to that. When I, when I make an Instagram post, when I write a book review, those words count toward my 500 daily word count. I, I allow those words to count. Wow. (laughs) I got to consider that next time. Yeah. Yeah. It, It sort of eases the stress a bit, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying, too, with all these other options. And, you know, I mean, there's always there's a danger with the what do they call it? Um, you, you know, shiny object syndrome. We're always looking at that new that next shiny object and you don't finish anything. Um, and if you know, if that's a personal struggle for someone, then, you know, need to be mindful of that. But for me, I I can juggle a lot of things and and I kind of like being in a place, I do it with my reading as well. When I can finish a number of projects in close proximity to each other. And so you're going and you're going and you're going and you're going. And then you start, you know, you finish this and then you finish that and then you finish this and it feels really good. And so I just, I, it, it works well for me. Um, you know, right now I am, slowly but surely writing this vampire short story for a uh, a submission call that maybe you're aware of um and yep. i am what is it i've got it open here got 951 words on it and i'm just you know just adding a little bit each day um but i'm working on you know three other projects at the same time i just you know released a short story collection and um you know, I, I, yeah, yesterday, by the way, congrats on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, when this, when this airs, it'll be a, a, a few weeks past, but yeah, y'all, yeah. you know, stories with horror and heart volume two, if you haven't read it yet, here's, here's your call. <laughs> right. Go get it. Go get it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So we, we, we've been, we spent some time here talking about the craft and I I'd imagine maybe some of the non writer listeners here, their eyes are glossing over, um, so let's yeah let's transition a little bit and talk about the the fruit of your labor. I 
you've got this short story collection and I want to spend some time with it. But before we get there, I do want to say a few words about your novella that um, is entitled Smolder, because yeah. that was my introduction to you as an author. And I remember, you know, I just I got on to Bookstagram at the like one of the last days in January of 2020. So I haven't even been on there for a year yet, but I kept seeing this, this, this cover with, you know, the, these red letters and all caps. And then this skull just emblazoned, not a little skull in the corner, not the bottom, but just right yeah. smack dab in the middle takes up the whole cover. And I kept seeing it pop up on different people's feeds. And so I was like, I, I, I want to check this out. And so I did, I, I got it. I got, um, I got an ebook version of it now. Thank, thanks to you, I have this um, this paperback version of it. But I read it, and I was just I was just enthralled by it. I really enjoyed it, and I mean this. Thank you. This novella is more than just a scary monster story. Like you tackle some difficult and heavy topics in just you know over a hundred pages. It's like one hundred and fifteen pages or something, and there yep. are snapshots of addiction, rage, betrayal, um, abuse in relationships, they all make an appearance in this dark little tale. But I feel as if you handled them so well. And in your author's note, you mentioned that this story was inspired by a nightmare. And so with that in mind, I've got to ask, in writing this novella, was there ever a feeling of facing something dark from your own subconscious or was this merely just in pursuit of creativity and fun? Uh, a little bit of both, but probably more the first one, if I'm being honest. Uh, a lot of authors have heard the mantra of writing what you know. Mm. Uh, it's you know, going to be the most authentic story you can tell. But when I started out writing Smolder, um, I had one scene in my head which was from the nightmare. And I just had to figure out how to get my character from wherever he started to that scene. And that was all I had in my brain. I didn't think of anything else. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, as I started putting more thought into it and just letting the characters tell me what they wanted to, to say and where they wanted to go, I realized that I could, you know, get some sort of, self-therapy out of writing the book it's hard for me to talk too freely about it because I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't read it but there is a, a major theme of anger uh, and how dangerous that particular emotion can be and for a lot of different reasons you'll have yeah. to read it to, to find out if you haven't yet read uh, those who are listening but you know anger is something I've struggled with um, for a long time since I was a kid um, you know I was kind of, I let myself feel it too much, let's say. Um, definitely had a problem controlling uh, my temper when I was a, a younger kid. And I was told to not show it, you know, to just kind of bury it down. And anyone who does that with any sort of emotion will feel that pressure building within themselves. And eventually it'll come out in, in some shape or form. And, you know, this main character, Eric, definitely has a lot of 
things going on and a, a lot of issues of his own that he didn't have a healthy way of dealing with, um, whether based on circumstance or, you know, personal choice. So there are parts of me in this story that are 100% true. Uh, and only those who know me will know what parts of that story, you know, are the parts of myself. Um, so it's kind of scary putting yourself into a story like that, you know, that vulnerability. But when I was writing it, it felt like the best way for me to confront it too. You know, it wasn't just the characters confronting it. It was me as well. And I think that's what helps all of that translate from, you know, from the page to other readers is that, you know, I'm writing what I know. Mm. Yeah. And it shows, it definitely shows uh, there. It's immersive. The story is very immersive and that's what I loved about it. I love a story where I can just um, get immersed in it. And, you know, I mean, it, it helps that it takes place for the most part in a wooded area. I love the woods. I love the forest. You know, anyone familiar with my writing, you know, that the forest pops up more often than not. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I really, I, I appreciated that, but, you know, and I also, I, I want to applaud you too, because, you know, uh, as I've gotten to know you better, you are just a very kind and gentle soul and, you know, we all have our inner demons, but it, it seems like that you have found healthy outlets to deal with, with some of yours and, you know, you're, you're, you're a better man because of it. And, you know, I think that for people that maybe have similar struggles, if they read this book, that they'll be able to connect with Eric and, 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 you know, yeah. maybe, maybe see some of those same things in themselves. And I, I know that's, that's a goal for me in my writing. You know, I don't shy away from the taboo. I don't shy away from the difficult things. And, you know, I, I come face to face with the demons. And my hope is that people will not only be entertained by my writing, but they'll also be able to confront some of their own personal demons and some of their own personal traumas in the relative safe place of fiction, imagination. Yeah but then be able to take those same things that they learned and, and, and bring it into their real life and face those real life demons, face that real trauma. And, um, you know, just find some strength, find some comfort from that. And based on what I have read from you, um, it, it seems like you might have a similar philosophy. Absolutely. Uh, and I will give my wife a lot of credit. Um, you know, I was married before and I met my, my current wife uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 2018, and I was in denial about a lot of issues that I had uh, from my childhood, uh, from my first marriage. And, you know, she gave me a lot of support uh, and still does, but she encouraged me to, you know, to seek a counselor for some of the issues that I've had and, mm you know, that has been instrumental in me uh, being comfortable approaching some of those issues, you know, and, and not just the counseling sessions, but even when it comes to writing about stuff. I think there's a lot of the shame that people feel about admitting their mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
you know, I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. I don't like to admit when there's something that I'm not doing that's not done the right way. Um, but, you know, going to therapy and being able to write about the things that I've felt, you know, is almost like a, a promise to myself in some way. Like if this character in the story can admit these things, then so can I, you know, it's an extension of me. So why should this fiction stay fiction? If I can write it, I should be able to live it out. Yeah. I love that. And I, I can relate so much, you know, for, for me, writing is cathartic. You know, I, I struggle a lot with anxiety and I know that when I'm writing and I'm like you too, where I do most of my writing at the end of the day, and one of my biggest problems is my brain is always going. It never shuts off. And so when I get to write at the end of the day, I'm sort of, it feels like I'm relieving some pressure. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I, I sleep better and I feel better, but also in the stuff that I write and the, the stuff that I'm, for instance, one of the, the short stories in volume two of stories with horror and heart, the I think it's, yeah, it's the last one I put in that collection. It's called Breach. And it, it's like you were saying earlier, where there is so much from my personal life. I mean, the first like half of that is just straight up, step by step, stuff that happened in my life, even to the point where some of the characters, you know, the, the name changes are just barely even changed. Um, yeah. But I didn't go into it planning to do anything like that. But what I did through writing that was I processed the death of my grandfather and the death of my aunt. They both died to cancer. It was very quick. It was sort of like, you know, once they got the diagnosis, I mean, they were, they were dead in just a couple of weeks, both of them. Hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I was younger. And so I didn't process that stuff, but I also, even now I, I had, I didn't realize that I hadn't processed that and writing that out really helped me do some processing. And I remember when I read the story, I read it out loud to my wife and it was while I was reading it, that it really hit me. And, um, you know, and then I was talking to my counselor about it too. And it's really, it's really helped me. It's, it's helped me process some stuff that subconsciously I didn't even know was still there. And I, I think that writing can do that. And so once again, I'm just a big believer that if me as the writer, if I can process those things, then people coming in as the reader with their own experiences and their own struggles, that they can have that same experience. And I know that I've, I've had it too, as a reader, reading other people's work. Yes, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I just, I, I love reading. I love writing. I love just the, the medium of, of words and story, but I do believe that the horror genre in specific gives us the opportunity, you know, to really, I mean, it's no holds barred. You can talk about anything. You can cover anything within the horror genre. And I think that it's, it's special, the, the horror genre and the comedy genre, those are the, the two, uh, areas where you can just be brutally honest. You can be brutally honest. And I appreciate that. 
And they're not too far apart from each other. No, not at all. You know, there's many a Stephen King book that a majority of it isn't scary or gruesome at all. You know, and then he'll throw in a scene or two and it's like, it works more often than it doesn't uh, in his works. And, and with a lot of other work, uh, including some you know fantastic indie authors out there, you know, you could be 90% of the story is just the story. And then 10% of it is the horror element, you know, and that's what makes it a book in that genre. But I think a lot of people are scared away from it because they think it's going to be nonstop blood and guts when it's often not the case. I mean, it depends on the subgenre, but. Right, right. If it's splatterpunk. But I mean, once again, you, you know, you know what you're getting into with, with certain. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hopefully (laughs) (laughs) you're not like little, um, uh, a little four-year-old Thomas Gloom uh, picking up a VHS off the rack at the rental store and it scarring him for life. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Um, so before we move move on from Smolder, you warn your readers at the at the end of of this book um, and at, at the end of the author's note. Really, you warn your readers not to go walking in the woods at night. Because, quote, dark things live in the shadows, unquote. Was this just a fun way to get a creepy send off? Or have you actually had any terrifying nighttime forest experiences? Well, I mean, yeah, I was hoping just to kind of continue the ambiance of the story a little bit. But, you know, I live on a property where we have like 30 acres of just woods, you know, and it's 25 feet past the the edge of my house. You know, I can be in the woods in two minutes and, you know, I could get lost back there. Uh, And I have on one occasion, but that's more so from me just thinking when I was a kid that the woods were a scary place, you know, that's so quiet and old and, you know, there's a, a smell that almost seems cautionary. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just all those things together, I think just create this feeling of, of unknown. Like you just don't know. Uh, but at the same time, you're experiencing things in the woods that no one else has, you know, you're walking between these trees that maybe no one else has walked between before, you know, there's some quality to being in the woods and, you know, it being nighttime, you know, you're not afraid of the dark, but you're afraid of what's in the dark with you. You know, sure, that's a part of it. But um, I, I make it a, a personal choice to not be in the woods at night if I can at all help it. Mm. Yeah, the way you just described your home and having the woods right there, I'm just like, oh, okay. So yeah, this is, this is Eric from Smolder. This is Eric's setup. Yeah. Well, you know, that nightmare that I referenced, um, happened in the woods behind my house. Wow. It's, I was literally, uh, experienced something related to that dream the day, um, you know, I went to sleep that night and I had this dream about it and it was so incredibly vivid. And I was telling my wife and my daughter about it and they were like, you need to write that down. And, you know, I'll turn it into something. And so I did. Wow. That's awesome. And yeah, I, you know, 
us talking in private, I know uh, that scene. It's a spoiler, so I can't say it. But, yeah. you know, if I had <laughs> if I had that nightmare and it was set in the woods right outside my house, I wouldn't be going out in those woods at night either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I love being out in the woods, you know, during yeah. the daytime. And, yeah, know, me too. We go for walks all the time and it's peaceful and, you know, it gives you just that reset that you need. Um, but things are different in the dark. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if you remember um, in the stories with horror and heart volume one, the home before dark where the two boys go into the woods and they find that cave. Um, yeah. It, the woods are different at night. The woods are different at night. Okay. So I want to talk about your short story collection. And at the time of, of this recording going live, all of you listeners, you will, you will know about this and hopefully you have already bought it because it's been out so. for a couple of days. Yeah we, yeah, we hope so. But it's called How Good It Feels to Burn. And, you know, first off, I've got to say, I got I got an advanced copy of this collection and I absolutely love it. I love it. And some of those details will slip out as we discuss this book a little bit further. But yeah. before we get into the actual content, I would just like to know from you how, how the idea for this collection came about. Well, um, it's kind of a funny story and one that I think a lot of authors will relate to. There's 12 stories in this collection, uh, and all of them were written for uh, submission calls for anthologies. Mm. Ten of them were rejected, so 80% were rejected, and that's bound to happen. You know, you're bound to get rejects, and you almost expect them, so that way when the acceptance comes in, you are uh, surprised. And that's my mentality, uh, at least. So... I had all these stories and I'm like, what am I going to do with these? You know, I guess I'll just wait until I have enough to throw together and, you know, hope that the rest of the people who are reading them, you know, think better of them than the, uh, the editors. And it's not to say the editors didn't like them. I know it's kind of um, Jamie Stewart and I discussed this and he said, as someone who's edited an anthology uh, for Blood Rights Horror, he and um, Kelly Brocklehurst did one, uh, Welcome to the Fun House. Selecting stories for it is like um, putting together a soundtrack. You know, you want all the stories to kind of fit together and flow. Uh, and that completely changed my perspective on what it's like to be on the other side of that yeah. uh, curtain. So I had all these stories and I'm like, what the heck? Let's just smash them all together and hope it works. And, you know, so far, the response to it has been overwhelmingly positive uh, beyond what I would have ever anticipated. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm thrilled people are loving it. And I am very much enjoying the strong reactions I'm getting from some of the stories. Uh, as an author, getting those visceral reactions is so worth the the self-doubt you feel uh when you put things out there and to have them come back with a no uh it makes all that worth it yeah for sure um i i know that 
I remember when I was first going through the collection, I told you about one of the stories, one of the shorter stories that is a bit of a gross out one. And I let my right wife read it. And I remember telling you what she said. And she was just yep. like, oh, this is so gross. Why'd you give this to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> And I was so happy to tell you that because I, yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that that's the kind of uh, reaction you wanted. Um, you know, I'm sure by the time that everybody's listening to this podcast, things will have changed. But at, at the time of the recording of this, I'm looking on Goodreads. And there are 24 ratings, and it is sitting at a 4.79 out of five stars, which is amazing. And, um, you know, I gave it five stars. I know Spencer Hamilton gave it five stars. And it is it's it's really good, man. And I like that you brought that up, what what Jamie had said, because he had he'd mentioned something similar um, on episode three that it's sort of like putting putting a record together, putting an album together. And yeah. you might have great songs, but they don't fit this particular album. And maybe they need to be put on another album. And so I, I think that your, your collection proves that. And the fact that the majority of these were sort of, you know, rejects. Um, and, and here they are put together in this way and everybody's loving it. And I know that, you know, some of the some of the reviews I've already gotten for my volume two collection, it's the it, it was the same way that there is there's a story in there that I wrote for Welcome to the Fun House that it, it got rejected. Um, but so far, everybody that's read it, they said they've really, you know, enjoyed that story. Um, yeah. And and so and I, I felt like it was a good story as well. And so I think that, you know, for all of you writers out there listening to this, you know, keep that in mind when you get these rejects, um, these rejection letters, and you you look at a story as a reject, well, you know, it was rejected from that specific collection at this specific time. But you know, there is a home for it somewhere. And maybe it takes some revisions, maybe it takes some rewritings, you know, who who knows, but, you know, I, don't take one rejection letter and then throw the story in the trash. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it can be easy to get discouraged, you know, when you spend so much time putting a story together and you're really hopeful and it comes back with a, with a no. Uh, and I'm guilty of falling down that rabbit hole uh, with thinking, well, this story is garbage. Uh, you know, I don't delete anything I've ever written. Um even yep. the true garbage stuff is still saved somewhere. But the story in my collection, um, The Phantom, I wrote for the Welcome to the Funhouse call, and it was turned down. But then I read Welcome to the Funhouse, and those stories were fantastic and absolutely deserving of, of being in there. And your story was fantastic, and I'm glad to have gotten an opportunity to read it. So, as you said, you know, it may not have a place in the specific call that you wrote it for, but that doesn't mean it's not deserving to be read. Yeah. Yeah. I want to dig in a little bit. I've got a quote here. This is from one of the one of the early stories in your collection. And it's very short. 
two sentences because this story is short and I, I don't want to give anything away, but here's the quote. He threw open the medicine cabinet, rummaging for something to pop the bump with. Part of his brain cautioned him against this bad notion, but Jordan didn't listen. Um, so it's, it's little lines like that, which are littered throughout your writing that makes your narrative style so relatable. Like there's, there's a realism that it's a realism to a lot of what you do. And even when you're, you know, slipping in the fantastical and the supernatural elements, you know, they're present, but at the same time, there's that realism because every one of us can relate to knowing in our minds, something is a bad idea, but then we yep. still find ourselves doing it anyway. So I've got to ask how much of your own personal experiences and even mistakes do you put into your writing? Oh, quite a bit. Uh, probably more than I even realize. Um, you know, my wife always reads everything that I write, uh, the first, you know, before I let it go anywhere else. And, you know, she will be brutally honest with the things that she doesn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same way with the things that she loves. And, you know, I think every writer has this experience when they're creating, they are just in the zone and you're just, you know, trying to connect the brain to the computer to record, you know, what's going on. And there's been some passages that, I don't exactly remember writing. I mean, I know I did, but it's it's there and it's so honest to how I feel about that particular scene. It's like, wow, holy crap. Like mm -hmm. I wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. Those moments are fun. Um, yeah, I've definitely. I've definitely had those. And once again, though, you usually can have those moments more often when you've taken a breather from something that you've written, you know, let yep. it, let it sit a little bit. Like, Cause I know for me that when I read something back that I've just written, I'm just like, uh, like I see all these mistakes and there's so much I don't like, but if I give it some time, you know, I can read something and just be like, Oh damn, that's pretty good. You wrote that. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, how invigorating is that feeling? Like when you realize mm -hmm all that self-doubt is being disproven by what's in front of you. Yeah. Um, I don't mean that to sound uh, egotistic at all. <clears throat> I am my own worst critic when it comes to everything, even the stuff that everybody says they love the most. Uh, you know, I'll still find something negative to say about it, but that, that moment when you're just creating in real time, um, some of the best uh, and most painful things I've ever written have come in, have, come to exist because of those moments. Mm. Yeah. When I was interviewing Jamie Stewart, we talked a little bit about this collection. And yes. thank you for I that, by the way. You said a lot of kind words. Both yes, of, of course. And I mean them. And I'm about to say more. <laughs> um, but I, I mentioned that there's this, there's a certain maturity in your writing. And it's my humble opinion that your description and prose are quite masterful and you can, you can take something that is as benign as hands banging on a door and then turn it into the most horrific image imaginable. 
like this snippet <laughs> from your story, Power Lines. They sounded impatient and violent, like someone swinging a sledgehammer against the steel doors of a crypt, shaking the chains bound around the door handles, trying to free the dead who were locked inside. I love that, man. I love that because like, in, in the story, you know, there is actually like the, there is a guy and he's, he's hearing this banging on the door. But then you create this extra imagery that for for me as the reader reading that you have, you know, instead of taking me out of the scary moment and just, you know, giving me some nice descriptive prose you have taken that time to describe it and make it even more horrifying for me as the reader. And I, that you, you have a gift for that. Like you, you, th this isn't the only time that I've seen it in your writing, but I really, I really appreciate that. And that's one of the things that really pulls me into your writing because I, I know that I'm going to have moments where I'm thoroughly creeped out. And I, I, I like that feeling. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love that you said that because, you know, when I write a scene like that, you know, I'll admit some of it is that being in the zone and the creative juices are flowing. But other times, you know, it's like I'm seeing a movie in my mind and mm. all I'm trying to do is capture what I'm seeing and feeling and reacting to what I'm imagining. And, and translating it into words. Um, you know, the, there's a particular scene in Smolder. Uh, it involves a deer. If you haven't read Smolder, you'll really like that scene. Or maybe not. Yeah, maybe um, not. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's a good example of a scene that I saw so incredibly vividly in my mind. And I was scrambling to put the words down fast enough. To, to keep up with all the input that I had. And, you know, for that particular scene, you know, that's the one scene that everybody reacts to the most. Uh, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it can be sometimes a mad scramble because you see something in, in your mind's eye and you want to get it down and you want to do a good job of it. You know, you want to describe it just like you're, you're seeing it in your mind's eye. But at the same time, you know, there is time there. there it, it's 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 a ticking clock and you can lose that stuff. And that's why, you know, I have notes on my phone because inevitably when I'm in the shower or when I'm going for a walk, that's when I'm going to have story ideas pop into my mind. And yeah. the the whole oh, I'll remember that later. That is bullshit. That is a lie. It is. Do not, yeah. if you are a writer, do not believe that lie because you will forget that thing. You will forget it. It doesn't matter how great it was. It will disappear into that massive Rolodex in your brain. <laughs> maybe it'll yeah, come I've, back around, but maybe it's I've gone been forever. Driving down the road and got an idea and pulled over just so I could type it out on my phone. Yeah, it's worth because, it. You know, absolutely. I haven't written that story yet, but you know, mm -hmm. I have it, I have it waiting. Yep. I've got the same man on my phone and my computer. I have, I, I mean, there's, there's 50 plus story ideas I've got. Um, but you know, at least I've got it down and when the time is right, I'll get to it. Yeah. On a rainy day when you've got nothing else to do. Yep. Coming back to that, 
that realism that I mentioned. Sure. It, it appears in your writing all the time. And that's another thing that I really like. I like the fantastical, but I also like to believe that that fantastical, supernatural, scary shit can happen in real life. So I, I like the realism. And so piggybacking off of that, I want to read a quote from your story, Leaves, which is also, it's, it's, it's one of the 12 in, in this amazing little collection. So let me read this quote, and then I want to ask a question. Okay. I believe every village has a story they tell their young, a story designed to instill fear, to keep children in line. The amount of truth in the story does not matter. These stories may have their roots in the truth, but generations of retelling it resulted in minor changes, embellishments, omissions. So everything I just read is, to me, more fact than fiction when it comes to the stories that different groups and cultures tell. And so are you a fan of urban legends and folklore? Because if you're not, this story <laughs> could have fooled me. Uh, the answer is yes, you know, to some extent. I may not believe in all of them, but I can appreciate where they got their origins or I can imagine where they began. You know, there's got to be some truth to it. Otherwise, you know, these stories wouldn't have survived so long. And some of them are so incredibly specific that you have to wonder the truth is stranger than fiction, right? So, you know, there's... Yeah probably has its its roots in something that happened uh, or it could just be a story to keep the kids out of the woods, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's the fun with it too. You, we, we don't know. We don't know. Um, so I, I also want to mention the, the paperback version of how good it feels to burn. You, you decided to go with a, a small, smaller dimensions in the, yeah. in this book. I mean, it, it fits nicely in your hand. You can slip it in your back pocket. If you're wearing jeans, um, you know, ladies, if you got a purse, it would fit right in there. Um, you know, I, it reminds me of those old, you know, pulpy dime novels. What, what led you to make this decision that has also led me to want to steal it for my upcoming <laughs> novella? <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, I saw a bunch of these old books in one of my favorite bookstores. They have this outbuilding separate from the main store where if you make a purchase in the, in the main store, they'd be like, well, you can go out and, you know, go to this outbuilding and just take whatever books you want. You know, they have such an overflow mm. um, and they had these pulpy books, you know, these old murder mysteries type stuff. And, you know, they're all these thin, small, you know, they fit in your hand type size format books. And I think, you know, again, there's that nostalgia factor um, where, you know, I think we can all relate to having seen those, you know, and maybe in our grandparents' house or at you know, the thrift store or wherever, but also, you know, it was just to do something different. You know, all these books that you see uh, in the self-published community are all six by nine and, you know, they all have the same format and, you know, it looks great on the shelf. Everything lines up nice and neat and it soothes the OCD, uh, even in myself. 
But for this, you know, I was like, I, I wanted to do something different and it was a risk. Uh, hopefully it pays off. I had a lot of fun um, designing it. And when I say fun, it was a big headache to figure out the trim size when you're going from a standard format to a non-standard format. And any self-published author knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it was a labor of love to get it in its mm-hmm. uh, final state. And uh, I hope it clicks with everybody else too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I love it. I, I adore <laughs> the dimensions of this, this little book. And I, I know that some of the others who got these advanced copies said the same. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, man. I, I hope this, this starts a trend. I know that, like I said, I'm, I'm planning to release a novella in late October and I've already, yeah, I should be getting my, the cover. Maybe, may, maybe by the time y'all are listening to this, I've already revealed the cover, but as the, at, at the time of this recording, I am on pins and needles waiting to see this, this cover from my cover designer. But, you know, I already gave her these, these dimensions and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, um, you know, I think that when it comes to traveling and going out of town, if there were more books this size, it would just make yeah. the whole thing a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, I like the, the feel of that size book so much that um, I had my other short story collection roadside forgotten uh, reworked into the same dimensions. And, you know, it, it works a whole lot better when you have a smaller book, you know, with not as much content. It's, it's almost like an illusion, like, oh, this book is, you know, a half inch thick. It has got to be a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. Not necessarily. Um, but if it was in a six by nine, it'd be, you know, an eighth of an inch thick and only 30 pages. And, you know, you might feel like you didn't get your money's worth out of it. Um, hopefully that's not a thought that anyone has. But uh, either way, just paying homage to all those books that have come before us all uh, in that pocketbook style. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so you, you do all the formatting uh, for, for your own books, right? I do all of it. And I know that you did the cover for how good it feels to burn. Did you do the cover for Smolder as well? I, I did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff, man. That's definitely a, a good skill to have in this field now I do I, I format my books I cheat I use vellum I love vellum love it love it love it but yeah I don't have a macbook so I can't cheat like that you've what I don't have a macbook so I can't use vellum oh is vellum not available in windows no wow okay so you get a you have a leg up on us here Thomas <laughs> Yeah, well, there are a few little sneaky things you can do that I, I can't do in, in Bellum, but yeah, I, I, I like it all right. Let's, let's move on, but I want to just say again to all of you listeners, if this, I don't know what you're doing, if this conversation here hasn't pushed you over the edge, if you were sitting on the fence about buying this short story collection, um, because it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing how good it feels to burn. You know, I, this, this is the, 
this is a fiery adventure and i i agree it it felt good to <laughs> to burn up in in some of these stories y'all need to check this out for sure it's so good so i i can't say enough about it um, oh thank you yeah i'm i'm proud of it i you, you know, should be a lot of the a lot of these stories um you know getting seeing all the reviews from advanced readers and, and all of that has been very humbling and uh it's getting any review is appreciated um, regardless of when it comes out. And, you know, I appreciate everyone who takes the time, you know, even if they didn't enjoy the book, you know, to get that feedback, but I have a story behind each story. You know, there's a reason why I wrote it or the inspiration behind it. And I failed to put that in with this book and I'm regretting it because I don't really have enough time to, add the story notes to each one um so uh, at some point i hope to i don't know do a instagram live or you know some sort of discussion with anyone who wants to hear you know where all these stories came from because there's there's a lot of good stuff to share i think uh whether you like the story or not hopefully people would find it interesting so yeah yeah, I've heard some of them just talking to you. And yeah, I, I love that stuff. I mean, that's, that's why I put the, you know, I put a little author note after each short story in, in my collections, because yeah. that was something that I really, really enjoyed in Stephen King short story collections. And yes. just getting into the mind of a writer and knowing where stuff comes from. It, to me, it's inspiring. And so I, I wanted to, to carry that through in my own. And yeah, I think for the most part, people tend to like it. Um, and for the people that don't, you know, just turn the page. It's, it's all right. Exactly. It's funny. Yeah. I, I got this one review um, for volume one and, and this, this individual had called that out that there there's an author note after almost every story and it's just stupid <laughs> like i was just like oh, just go to the next page it's all right <laughs> right yeah but once again you know that that negative review i know for some people that'll sell the book you know they'll be like oh i love those author notes he's got one after every story okay <laughs> yeah yeah i had one review for this one where they uh were a little bit turned off by the body horror elements in a couple stories and, you know, I totally get it. It's not for everyone. And personally, you know, I don't seek out books within that genre myself, you mm-hmm. know, that subgenre. Uh, and those are probably the only stories I've ever written where it features the body horror element so prominently. Uh, what can I say? You know, there was a story that needed to be written within me and, and that's what it is. Um, but for some people are going to see that. I think you and I were having that discussion Yep. and it's going to, like you said, it's going to draw that person in. So yeah. reviews are, are crucial. Please, you know, everyone take the time. It helps. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, it's life to an indie author's soul. Reviews. Yes. <laughs> reviews and ratings. Okay. So I'm going to do something here that I do with every guest. And I'm going to take you into what I like to call the carpenter's shed. And here in this shed, I want to ask you a simple question. Michael, what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Well, I will have to admit, uh, I've only seen two. 
which is uh, Christine and The Thing. Uh, I watched The Thing earlier today, just so I could say I've seen more than one. Yes. Um, Christine was great, a little campy, and there's some scenes in there that are standout. But The Thing was fantastic. Um, you know, it's an 80s horror movie, so you, from me, I expect it to maybe not hold up. But it was just, it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the the effects, the pacing, I mean, what can you say? Yeah. The special effects in that movie are astounding, what they yeah. were able to do. And yeah, and it does. It, it holds up. And for me, you know, I will always, in talking about John Carpenter, one of the things I appreciate most about him is his music. You know, and, and the majority of his movies, he makes the soundtrack and the soundtrack for the thing is so brooding, just like just like yeah. the movie, just like the, the thing in the movie. Yeah, it's just kind of lurking in the background and it's almost its own presence in and of itself. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Allow me to take you by the hand we're gonna leave the carpenter's shed and i'm gonna take you into the king's corner okay now i want to ask you what is your favorite stephen king book well i am a big fan of stephen king uh and this is a question i get asked often enough and i usually have the answer of the stand prepared uh the stand is an absolutely fantastic book uh i read it pretty early on it was probably the fifth or sixth king book i i read and i was just blown away by it uh it was the first time i'd ever read a story that long uh it was the unabridged version and how much he accomplished with that story and some of the things that he did and talked about were things i wouldn't have even imagined thinking about uh it was just brilliant uh and then i read the dark tower series so yeah the dark tower series has to be my favorite um i read all of the dark tower books um back to back after i had read everything he had written up to that point in time that was probably 2010 i think when i read the dark tower series and i it, the ending just knocked the wind right out of me and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but it was just absolutely incredible and uh, a crowning achievement for him as an author. And when he released the uh, wind through the keyhole a couple of years later, I was so incredibly excited to get a chance to get back into that world again and to, to experience those characters again. And, you know, a lot of people on, Bookstagram talk about this series of books and how important they are to them as uh, readers and how influential they are to writers as well. Uh, it's just just a great, great series. Mm. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read the whole series. I've read the first four books, but it's been a while now and I do plan on reading them at some point. But I do. I want to go through, like you said. And just back to back to back to back to back. I feel like that sort of immersion will probably help 
because I did, like I said, I read the first four, but it was over a span of a couple years with a lot of other books in between. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll get to that. Yeah. Well, you get to see his progression as a writer too. You mm. know, that the gunslinger was written in the eighties all the way up to book seven, you know, in the two thousands, you know, it's, I don't know. It's an experience all to itself. And if you haven't read any of those books yet, or for you are reluctant in reading the last book because you've heard it's a real uh, brutal ending, just do it. You <laughs> you may regret it, but you'll be thankful for it in the end. <laughs> okay. So speaking of regrets, I I regret to have to ask you also, this doesn't mean it's a necessarily a bad book, but I want to know what is your least favorite Stephen King book that you've read? Well, uh, hopefully I don't get any hate from people who love these books. Um, but Rose Matter didn't really resonate with me when I read it. Uh, the same with The Dark Half. Um, it's not that either books are particularly bad. You know, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of good things about those books. But maybe it was the frame of mind I was in at the time when I read them or what was going on in my life where those stories just didn't click. Um, you know, at some point when I have, I'm looking for something to read, you know, I, I'll probably revisit them and just to, to see if, you know, the, the mic of now feels any different than the mic of, you know, the early 2000s um, reading through those. But who am I to criticize Stephen King? <laughs> yeah you know we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording too um and you know that is so true that the books that we read at a certain time in our life when we read them at a different time in our life it'll be a totally totally different experience there are books that i loved and then I reread them and I didn't care for them. And then there are books that I thought I didn't like. And then I reread them at a different time and just loved them. Yeah. And I do think that when it comes to the books that we read, when we come to those books, you know, we're bringing everything. We're bringing our emotions. We're bringing our knowledge. We're bringing all of our experiences. We're bringing the struggles that we're facing at this point in our life. You know, I like I know a lot of people who you know, enjoyed Pet Cemetery when they were younger, but then when once they got a little bit older and they have, you know, young kids, that just the thought of rereading that and going through that stuff with Gage is just utterly terrifying to them and they would never want to do that. And so I, I think that there there's there's merit to what you are saying here. Um it's twofold. I mean, one of them is a book that you might not like at a certain time in your life at a different time, you might really enjoy it. But then also what you were saying about you you were alluding to, well, maybe if there's a time when I'm looking for a book as if you don't have a mountainous TBR that is yeah. constantly growing. Right. I mean, that's the problem we've all got. Right. Do I reread a book that I didn't like the first time or do I read another book that you know, has the potential of being fantastic and one of my favorites. Yep. It's a struggle, man. It's a struggle. I, I, 
And I'm proud of myself this year because I did. I've gone back and I've re reread some books. Um, just most recently, The Hellbound Heart and The Green Mile. And those were two of my all-time favorites. And they held up. They held up. You know, I, I think that there is, there's a time and a place. We need to get new stuff in, obviously. But when we've got our old favorites, when we've got those things that we love, you know, it, it doesn't mean we got to kiss them goodbye just because there is always new stuff coming. Sometimes the oldie goldies are, I mean, they're golden for a reason, right? That's right. You know, my wife listened to the audiobook of The Stand over the summer. And whenever we were in the car for any long distance or whatever, we would listen to it together. And, you know, I got to experience that book again in a different format. And <clears throat> it was awesome to be able to share all of that with her. You know, and she's relatively new to Stephen King. And, you know, going to other stories of his after that, it may not feel like it lives up to the intensity of the stand. Uh, but then she read Lisey's story, which is an incredible book. And it's like those two books were written at very different times for King. And, you know, a lot of people have love hate relationships with both books and yeah. they're by the same guy. Uh, so yeah, I think the context of, of life helps shape the opinion of, of what we read. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Yeah. What we read and, you know, for us writers, what we write, especially. Whew. Yeah. All right. Well, before we end this interview, I've got one more question for you. And this is a question really for our listeners. We're talking about, you know, this idea that so many people fell in love with horror at a young age. And for you, you got a later start. And I know that there are other people out there that maybe have you know, dipped their toes into the horror genre, but they haven't fully dived in. And so I want to ask you, Michael, based on your experience with horror and coming to it a little bit later in life, what are three horror books that you would recommend to someone who was willing to give the genre a try later on in their life? Uh, that's a, an excellent question. Um, and I would suggest the stand as one of them uh, because it is such an all encompassing book. It's not all horror. It's, you know, there's a lot of heart in that story and mm. very, you connect so much with the characters. Um, it's just an incredible book. Um, theme music by T. Marie Vandalee. Um, she provided a cover blurb for How Good It Feels to Burn. Not enough people are reading this book. I read it earlier this year, and it is so incredibly creepy and horrifying. It's one of those stories where you, you know the decisions the character is making are bad decisions, and you are just along for the ride. Uh, I stayed up until 1 o'clock in the morning finishing that book which is not something i do very often uh it was a great story and i don't know if this would be considered a horror not horror book or not but the road by cormac mccarthy i read that story when i was trying to recover from my king hangover after reading the dark tower and 
you know, there was no new King book to read at that point. And I'm like, well, I got to read something else. And that book is so expertly executed. Uh, and there's some truly graphic scenes uh, in there that just stick with you. And, you know, I read that book a very long time ago and I still remember um, just being horrified at what you're being presented in that story. And it's a classic in its own right. And I don't know, definitely recommend it. All right. What, what was that second book that you recommended? Theme music. Theme music. Okay. Yeah. And who's the author? Uh, T. Marie Vandely or Vandelli. I apologize if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, um, but she did a cover blurb for how good it feels to burn, um, and which I'm incredibly grateful for for her and uh, Patrick Delaney and you and a whole bunch of other um, indie authors that I respect very greatly for you know showing support of that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that we're just grateful to get this awesome collection of stories ahead of time and give it a read. And yeah, I mean, you know, it, it comes up on every episode I do of this. Just the indie horror community is such a just a lovely group of, of folks. And I'm so I, I'm just immensely blessed to be a part of it. And, um, you know, it gives me opportunities to interview you know, awesome authors like you and just talk about this genre that we love and talk about our writing and the writing of others. And yeah, this yeah. is, this is just great. Um, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a great community of readers and writers and, you know, I would not consider myself, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without the support of these incredible mm -hmm. folks. Yeah. I can, I can say the same thing. Well, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Uh, I'll just say for anyone who isn't, you know, well-versed in horror to not be afraid to try things that you are interested in. You know, you don't have to read the books that people are saying are the best and are a required read. Uh, you don't have to see the movies, you know, just go with what resonates with you. You know, you find that subgenre that, speaks to you you know don't stay in that in that zone and and explore other areas you know there's so much out there uh but don't feel like you are inadequate because you haven't read as much as everyone else or watched all those movies you know there's still every day there's new stuff being created and it can feel like you just can't keep up or there's never going to be enough time to read all these great books but you know, just find your own path with horror because there's a whole lot more than just being scared. Yeah, I agree. Well, Michael, I, I've had a lot of fun with this and I appreciate you taking this journey with me into the gloom. And everybody, go pick up a copy of How Good It Feels to Burn. Michael R. Goodwin, thanks for coming on, sir. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. We hope this episode haunts your nightmares. It's been an honor to scare you. Be sure to subscribe and also follow Into the Gloom podcast on Instagram for news on upcoming offerings. 
Until we meet again, remember to leave a light on. Ha 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 